Psalm 19 and start in verse number one and read six verses. The heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament showeth his handiwork. Day unto day uttereth speech and night unto night showeth knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line is gone out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. In them hath he set a tabernacle for the sun, which is as a bridegroom coming out of his chamber and rejoiceth as a strong man to run in a race. His going forth is from the end of the heaven and his circuit unto the ends of it. And there is nothing hid from the heat thereof. Let's pray as we've uh, just read the Bible. I pray you would bless uh, Lord tonight, the reading of your word, give us something from it as we make applications from it. I pray it'd be a blessing and encouragement to us tonight in Christ's name, amen. So this psalm a lot of times can be broken up into two different sections and they're very distinct uh, uh, sections of the same psalm. This is one psalm, there is no disputing that, but it is spoken, uh, it, it's, it's spoken, it's written in a distinct two-part uh, manner. Um, and, and David's writing it, obviously, it says to the chief musician, a psalm of David, and he's, he writes in the very beginning, and, and he, he just, he, God's, God's name is mentioned one time, and it's the, it's the name El. Um, in, in verses 7 through 14, we get into it, and, and the word is, instead of El for God, it's, it's uh, the Lord or Jehovah. And so we have, we have two separate uh, uh, names that are being used for God, and one of them is more of a, a looking at and hearing about, and the other one is more of a interpersonal, relational um, uh, reading. So we're, we stopped at verse six tonight, and we're gonna pick it up in seven next week. Um, and and what, I, what I've titled this tonight is The Declaration of the Heavens. So uh, um, in verses one through six, we, we read about the, the declaration of the heavens, and we, if you could almost use your imagination I don't know when David wrote this psalm. Like, we, we really have no idea when he wrote the psalm. Sometimes, like if you look at verse, uh, I'm sorry, Psalm 18, it talks about where, Saul, where David was and what was going on when he wrote it. And this one, it doesn't give us that. So we don't know if David wrote this when he was a young shepherd boy laying out in the fields. We do know he wrote music then. We know, uh, we know that he played his harp then. And, and there are times when you'll see that the instrument that is supposed to be played for the psalm David wrote was a harp. Um, I, I don't know if he wrote it while he was out there, the sheep are in the fold sleeping and David's laying out looking at the stars. We, we know what it's like to get out and get away from light pollution here in, in the valley. It's not hard, just go south a little ways or go north. You can kind of get away from the lights and the pollution of light and see the stars uh, pretty well. Nothing like what David would have been able to see because the pollution, the light pollution that David had, it's, it literally just holds a candle to what we have. Um, it, our light pollution goes for miles and miles. And so while we can get far away and see the stars and see what David saw, we can't see it to the, to the extent that I believe he saw it laying out there in the, in the fields of Bethlehem. Or if he was hiding, if he was a fugitive from his father-in-law. And when we read this, you think about if he's a shepherd boy writing about it and the declaration of the glory of God and the firmament showing his handiwork, or, or if it's if him as a fugitive, his father-in-law's trying to kill him, the, the psychotic tyrant that's trying to kill him uh, and chasing him and he's hiding in caves in the wilderness yet again, far away from any civilization and light. 
or if he's king of Israel at this point, and he's sitting in his, in his palace, sitting up on the rooftop, looking up into the heavens. But um, what we do know is when David looked up to the stars, David could see the same stars we can see. Now, it was brighter probably for him for a lack of light pollution, but he could see the same stars we could see. When we looked up, I, I don't know, uh, I, I do know from the book of Job that the, the names of constellations already existed. Uh, the oldest book in the Bible mentions constellations. It doesn't just mention constellations. We'll get to this in a sec, but it actually mentions the zodiac itself. Um, the, the, like all of the constellations as a whole. Um, the oldest book in the Bible, we're talking dating back to uh, more than 2,000 years BC. Um, so David would have possibly looked up in the heavens and seen Orion with the belt and with his club and, and, and seen the, uh, the, the two dogs, uh, Canis Major and Canis Minor, uh, um, uh, quick on his heels and, and maybe saw the larger, uh, the dog's eye, uh, which is the Sirius star. Um, like, I, I don't, when he looked up into the sky, he's looking at the same constellations, looking at the same things we're seeing. And when he looked up in the sky, what he was overwhelmed with, with the inspiration of the Holy Spirit is, the heavens are declaring something to me. They're declaring the glory of God. And it's an amazing thought. So regardless of when he wrote it, um, uh, it's an amazing thought that when he looked up into the heavens, he was awestruck. He said, this is declaring to me one thing and one thing alone, the glory of our God. And it doesn't just do that. And he goes into the firmament. We'll talk about it. He goes into the firmament. It says that it shows his handiwork. The, the workmanship of God's hands. And just to grasp that thought for a second, the fact that our God, who is spirit, is described as having handiwork. And you look at the sky around us and you look at the sunset, which we will be blessed to get to see on the way home tonight. Uh, we get to drive west when we go home. And so we get to look at the sunset at this time of year as we go home from church. Um, uh, I love this hymn. It's, it's been handed down for ed edification, for or instruction. Um, so I'd like to do a couple of things tonight. First of all, I'd like to go through it verse by verse. And then we'll draw it together with a conclusion with a few applications. And then, and then we'll close tonight. So let's start back in verse number one and just do a verse by verse look over um, in, this, in this psalm. The first six verses, the verse one again, the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament showeth his handiwork. If we were to go back to the very first mention of the word heavens and the word firmament, we would go um, all the way back to Genesis 1-1 when God created the heaven and the earth. And then we go forward a little bit to verses eight and nine when it talks about the firmament. And it talks about a division of a water canopy, um, which the Jews spoke of uh, uh, for for centuries. They talked about a canopy of water that would have predated the flood. Um, and then there was a firmament between the waters on earth and the waters up in the sky. And um, later on that firmament, um, I, I think I have this in my notes later on, um, uh, the, the firmament becomes just the sky because firmament means an expanse. And so when we look at the sky around us and we look off in the distance and see a horizon, what we're viewing there is our firmament. Um, you go all the way back to the very first mention and you find that they are among the first things that God created, among the first creation. In fact, they predate us. They were created on the fourth day, the firmament. 
the sun, the moon, the stars is all on the fourth day. And, and it's not beyond reason to believe because from the second, from their inception, the moment they were created by God, from that point in time, and it was a point in time when God said, let there be, and he created these, 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 these things in the sky, when it happened from that point up until today, like the angels who are circling the throne of God saying, holy, 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 they've been declaring the glory of God. The heavens have declared the glory of God before we were ever created. How amazing is that? Before we ever were, they've been declaring his glory. Before we ever breathed in the breath of life from the, the breath of God into our own nostrils, the heavens have declared his glory. And the firmament has shown his handiwork. Who is, who, who, who is the firmament, firmament showing handiwork to? Nobody. Didn't care. The firmament's just showing forth his handiwork. It's just showing it. Um, so I went on a little bit of a rabbit trail in study. But I'm going to do it here tonight with you. It's brief. Um, but I started looking at this because uh, I feel like we should be worshiping the zodiac signs. No, I'm kidding. Um, this, I'm just checking if you're awake. Um, the, uh, as people are packing up to leave, uh, one of you is like, I've got my horoscope right here in my newspaper, right here, ready to go. Uh, um, and I do want to preface this by saying this. I do not actually know what my zodiac sign is. You'd think that I would have found out by doing this that I would have looked to see what my sign was. I actually don't know what it is, and I'm not telling you what my birthday is, so you don't know. Um, but during the study, the history of what we call the signs of the zodiac. What's the history of the zodiac, the signs? Um, and and we're, we're not going to get spooky, but it's interesting that they all, each of the signs, the 12 zodiacs, which kind of help to mark out seasons, all 12 of them point back to a messianic uh, uh, story. All 12 of them are connected. Virgo being the virgin, the maiden, um, sounds a little bit like our Mary, and she's holding wheat, which is seed. And so you have the virgin and her seed, which crushed the head of the serpent. It's just very interesting, some of the connections that can be made here. Um, the the, the Miseroth, or, uh, Maseroth, I'm sorry, which I, I said earlier, is mentioned in the book of Job 38, verse 32. God is asking Job, it's not a hypothetical question. I mean, sometimes it could be like, this is hypothetical or this is uh, rhetorical. Uh, Job's not going to be able But honestly, if Job wanted to, he could have tried to answer. But God's like, where were you when I created this, that, and the other? Uh, can, all right, tell me what. Can you, uh, can you affect Orion? What about his belt? I mean, we're talking about galaxies. We're talking about uh, stars that are, that are beyond the understanding of Job of how far away they were and how, I mean, we know how vast they are. They're huge, these stars are. Um, it's mentioned in Job 38, 32, uh, uh, the, the Maseroth is, and, and the messianic connections that are to each of these signs. I don't, I don't want to go any further with that tonight. Like, we're not going to go further because, because it's become, and it is today, my goodness, it's become a thing where people are worshiping the creation more than the creator. But I don't want to get too deep because it's more, uh, some of it's speculative, uh, some of it is, is a little bit speculative, a little bit of a reach. Um, but I find it very interesting, and I don't think it's too far beyond the scope of probability that the Maseroth uh, signs all point to the redemptive work, to, uh, work of Jesus Christ. Who created them? 
who created them. God did. From the very beginning, they've been in the sky. Before man came in, before Satan came in and corrupted, before man corrupted himself, before all of that, these existed. And and it's not really far beyond the scope of possibility that God put the story of of his son, Messiah, who's going to come and redeem mankind in the stars. It's not beyond the the scope of possibility. And the thing that really points me in that direction is the fact that Satan has been pushing so hard every single generation. If you go back to any culture in history, just keep going backwards. Do these people look at the zodiacs? Yes. How do they look at them? They were all different gods. Ask the Greeks, ask the Romans. Like they, they all, it it all predates all of the, or I'm sorry, it predates them, yet they've taken the zodiac and made it in something else. Why do you think that is? You think maybe Satan is trying to point people towards the creation? Maybe he's trying to turn them away from something that the heavens are trying to declare to us. I just found that very interesting. And it's like he's pushing a little too hard to get his pagan uh, jabs in. Um, The heavens declare the glory of God and creation turns their attention to that which declares the glory and worships it instead. That's very true of us as we turn our attention to creation many times. Now, the word glory here, when it says that they declare the glory of God, glory has a feeling behind it. A lot of times when you're reading in Hebrew, a a, a passage of scripture that is originally written in ancient Hebrew, um, it has feeling behind the meaning of the word. It's not just glory means glory. It has feeling behind it. Like the, the, a, 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 a ancient Hebrew, when they heard something like glory, they would have thought of something almost like a coat that somebody would put on. So you're not looking at the person themselves. You're looking at the, the thing that they have. Um, the, the, the feeling behind glory here is heavy. That's the feeling behind glory. When the heavens are declaring the glory of God, they're speaking of something that has heft to it, weight to it. Now, it doesn't just mean it's heavy, but it can be heavy in importance. Lots of importance, lots of wealth, lots of weight. Um, We're talking about God being heavy in his glory. And the heavens are declaring the vastness of the glory of God is essentially what is being said here. When, when, honestly, when when we look at creation, when we look at, and I'm going to talk a lot about sunrises and sunsets and the moon that's rising and the stars out in the sky. And if you go out far enough away from the light pollution, you can see the milky color up in the sky for the Milky Way galaxy. You can see part of the arm uh, that we're in. And we're looking up at it in all of this creation, all that it's doing day and night, night and day, is declaring God's glory to us. Um, it doesn't just mean that they're showing it to us. This, this is important. It's not, they're not just showing us his glory. They're declaring it to us. They're, 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 they're enumerating it for us. They are recording it for us. They are marking it out for us. This is, this is the fact of his glory. We're talking about inanimate objects here. They don't have minds. They don't have brains. Yet because of their, the fact that they are the creation of God Almighty, they, by very virtue of who and what, or by what they are, they declare his glory to us. They mark it out for us and record it. And when one looks at the glory that's being declared, it's no wonder that we're usually caught speechless, or at least, at least we don't have the correct words to describe what we're seeing. Have you ever, 
Have you ever stood out and looked at the sunset and not been able to really give? Like, it's not, I don't mean you just weep. Like, I'm not talking about being weird where you stand out there. But if even the most casual observer of a sunset can't help but say, wow, that's amazing. Like, that's amazing. How many of us have ever just seen a just straight up ugly sunset? I've never seen an ugly sunset. I've seen sunsets that, that were behind storms and the colors that come out are crazy and the beams of light that are shooting out everywhere. Like, I've never seen an ugly sunset. I've never seen an ugly sunrise. Um, so when we look at this with the firmament showeth his handiwork, we know, essentially I covered this, that it's the sky, it expanse. When we look out at the sky and we see the sun setting or we see the moon rising or really fun, you see a big thunderstorm coming from way off and we can see a really good distance here. You see a thunderstorm coming and you can see lightning flashes off in the distance and you hope, please don't come here. I just planted, Max, I just planted my tomatoes. I don't want a thunderstorm coming here and dropping hail on my brand new tomato plants. Um, that's how we know that Max has planted his tomatoes, by the way, when we get a hailstorm in the spring. We know, ah, oh, Max planted his tomatoes. That's what happened. Um, or if we have a frost in the early spring. That's another, right? Yeah, it's hit Max a couple. Of, it's not funny to him yet, but it will be one day. Um, so <laughs> so uh, uh, later in the Bible, the word firmament is used to depict the sky. Often you see firmament and heavens together. Um, but every time that I see a sunset or a sunrise, I'm awestruck. I try. How many of you have tried to take a picture of the sunrise or the sunset? Uh, in the mornings when I'm going to school in the winter time, I guess it's, it's as the fall breaks into winter and as the winter's breaking to spring, when I'm driving there, the sun is rising uh, only certain times of the year. And I'll, I'll be on the phone with mom and I'll say, oh, what a beautiful sunrise. She'll go, take a picture for me. No, I'm not taking a picture. It's pointless. <laughs> you can't take a picture of it. You can't. How many of us know you can't take a picture of the sunrise and, and really capture it and we do it anyway? Like, I got a million pictures of sunsets and sunrises. I'm like, I, we've stopped on the way home from church. We've seen pastor before. We, pass, we just blew by him. He's out of his truck and he's taking a picture of the sunset. It's never going to show up just like it looks. But we try. Why do we try? Because there's something about it. We're looking at it. What, what is it about the sunset? We're looking at the firmament. What, what is it about it? Well, what is, what's it doing to us? It's showing his handiwork to us. And when, and when you look at a sunset or you look at a sunrise, uh, usually before coffee, um, but if you look at us, even, even I am all struck before coffee when I see a sunrise. Um, but when you look at a sunset or you look at a sunrise or you look at something in the firmament that, that, that is just awe-inspiring, you can say, wow, God, you created something beautiful today because he did. It's literally showing his handiwork to us. We're talking day by day by day. And, and, and this, is, this is mentioned in Lamentations, but it says his mercies, uh, they fail not. And it says that because of his compassions that we're not consumed. And it says they're new every morning. That means he's involved on a daily basis in some type of a handiwork. Um, and the, the, the reminder there of his, of his handiwork on a, on a day by day basis. Um, I went to the Metropolitan Museum of Art in, in New York um, back in 17 when we were going on the first Israel trip. And I stood before Monet, his paintings, the water lilies, 
pastor used to say it looked like he had cataracts when he painted it, but um, it's, it's different, but it's, it's really cool because, I mean, it's, Monet painted this. That's really neat. And I took a picture of it. And Vincent van Gogh, I love his paintings. Vincent van Gogh was a great artist, and he wasn't really cared for in his day. <laughs> Why are you making look faces like that? You're, the face you're making right now is like a Picasso. Um, but uh, uh, now you notice I didn't mention him as being a great painter. Um, he had some funky designs, but, but Van Gogh and, and Monet, they just had this, they had this, I don't, this eye about them and their, this way of painting. And I took pictures of their paintings because I was like, man, that's awesome. But I wasn't awestruck by it. There's a difference. There's, there is a major marked difference in the handiwork of God. Um, verses two and three, uh, it says, day to day uttereth speech and night unto night showeth knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Now these are interesting verses. How many of you have gone outside and the sun was setting and you got real quiet. Everybody be quiet. Let's listen. Do you hear that? You hear the voice of the sun right now? It's talking to us. You hear that? How many of us have ever heard the sun talking? Okay, I'm just checking. This was a crazy check and all of you passed. Um, now, I'm not trying to point out an inaccuracy in scripture. It's quite the opposite here because it's what's, it's what's being put forward here in this verse. There's a lot of force behind it because he's saying day unto day. It's every day, every day, every day, night unto night, night unto night, every night, every night, every night, they show it showeth knowledge. And then in verse three, it says, there is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. The utterance, if you look in, in, in that, in verse two, where it says uttereth speech, the utterance there that's spoken of, it's only used 12 times in the entire Bible, that word, only used 12 times in the entire Bible. And it means to flow from abundance. Now, so usually when we hear the word utter, we think I'm uttering. Well, you may think of dairy cows, but, uh, but usually you think about uttering something, you're just telling a truth. You're telling something that you've heard. You're, 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 you're speaking. But uttering here is, is, is to flow from an abundance. That's, that's what it is here, what the heavens are doing and what the firmament's doing. They're, 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 they're flowing from an abundance. And, and the, feel, the feeling behind the word this is kind of whatever. Probably the reason why utterance is used and not the other word, although it is translated this other word another place in the Bible. Um, it's like when your, your belly's full from eating a real nice Chick-fil-A meal and you, uh, you in some cultures, it's, a, it's a, an honor to the cook. Belch. The word is translated belch in another place in the Bible. It's... So it's like a full stomach and you almost can't not, you know, like you almost, that's why we don't eat a big meal in the morning before I preach on Sundays. Somebody say, oh, I made a casserole. I'll get some after church because uh, I've got a microphone right by my face, you know. Um, but that's, that's the feeling here. That's, that's what it's, hey, day unto day uttereth speech. It's a flowing from abundance. It has no choice. This is happening and, and, it's, and it's, it's not just spoken words, it's, it's an establishment of a word or promise when it says this. When it says it, it's talking, about, it's talking about taking something that's been established. And this speech here is, is like, um, has God given his word on this? Yes, it's done. That's, that, it's an abundance of the fact that it's true. 
That's exactly what's happening in these verses. It's an establishment of a word or a promise. It's an untiring witness of God, of his word and of his promise. And I love it. Yesterday we were pulling in the driveway, uh, me and Jackson. We have a membership to a car wash place. So when it's going to rain, I like to go because there's not going to be a line because nobody's going to pay to go through a car wash when it's raining. And I'll do it anyway because I can. And uh, we got home and it had rained and there was this rainbow in the sky. And Jackson mentioned it's the promise of God. It's the promise of God. That's the firmament showing his handiwork. That's the firmament saying, hey, out of an utterance, out of an abundance here, his promise is still established. He has set a bow in the sky and it'll still be there tomorrow. If we have rain another day, you turn your back to the sun. If it's low enough in the sky and you'll see a rainbow every single time. How many have seen one from the airplane before? Seen a, is it pretty cool because it's a full circle. It's really amazing to see a rainbow from there, um, from that vantage point. Uh, they never saw that in the Bible days. Uh, and, well, no, they couldn't fly. Um, maybe Elijah on his way up in the chariot. Um, an untiring witness of God, his word and his promise. Verse 3, there isn't a place on, on earth where this voice of the witnesses is not understood or heard. Just think about that for a second. There's, not, there's no speech, there is no language where their voice is not heard. And, now, and while we're not talking about an audible sound of their voice, because these, they're not speaking man's language, there's not a single place on this planet. God sent out his messengers. He sent out his messengers, and they are seen, and their testimony cries out unto every single person that's in existence on this planet today. There's not a place on this planet that's not touched by the sun, the moon, or the stars. There's not. We have parts of our planet that are not touched by the sun for portions of the year, but that's it. Every single place on this planet is covered. That's an awesome and merciful God that reveals himself to his creation in this way. Because what we're looking at in the first six verses here, this is what's called the general revelation of God to his people, to his creation. It's his general revelation. You look in, in creation, you can see a general revelation of our God. In verses 7 through 14, what we'll see is a special revelation of God through his word. But he's saying, hey, from before you were born, from before you were created, the heavens have been declaring my glory. And day unto day, think about that again. Day five, they uttered their speech. For day five, who were they doing it to? Didn't matter because he was deserving of the glory. They had no choice in the matter. Their, their uh, night and tonight were showing their knowledge. Um, how cruel of God if he would have created us and expected us to know him and then hid from us. How cruel would that have been? Yet some people teach that about him. That's not his nature. I want you to know me and I'm going to declare it to you from my heavens and there's nowhere you can go on this planet that you won't hear it, that you won't see it, that you won't be a, a witness to my witnesses. Um, there isn't even a language barrier to their message. Um, Joseph Addison in a, in a hymn, Cindy, you might be familiar with this hymn, um, The Spacious Firmament on High is the name of the hymn, and I don't think we're going to sing it on Sunday, so don't get nervous. Um, it says, What though no real voice or sound amidst their radiant orbs be found, in reason's ear they all rejoice and utter forth a glorious voice, forever singing as they shine, the hand that made us is divine. The, the stars, the sun, the moon, the sky around us, 
from day unto day they utter speech, night unto night. Um, and, and we're going to get into application later. But how many times have I let a day go by and I didn't think about it? How many times have I let a day go by and it hasn't occurred to me that the sun literally on his course, which we're going to read about, went on the line that it's supposed to be on and I didn't give it a second thought. That, that it was declaring to me, it was uttering speech, the promises of my God, and it didn't cross my mind. Uh, verses four through six, we're going to read, their line has gone out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. In them hath he set a tabernacle for the sun, which is as a bridegroom coming out of his chamber and rejoiceth as a strong man to run a race. His going forth is from the end of the heaven and his circuit circuit unto the ends of it, and there is nothing hid from the heat thereof. Uh, if you'll indulge me, I have a poem that I'd like to read, part of a poem, not the entire thing, by a man named Joseph Hutton, and it's called God is Everywhere. And he says, Oh, show me where he is, the high and holy one, to whom thou bendst the knee, and praise thy will be done. I hear thy song of praise, and lo, no form is near. Thine eyes I see thee rise, but where doth God appear? O oh, teach me who is God and where his glory shine, that I may kneel and pray and call thy father mine. Gaze on that arch above, the glittering vault admire, who taught those orbs to move, who lit their ceaseless fire, who guides the moon to run in silence through the skies, who bids the dawning sun in strength and beauty rise. Their view immensity behold, my God is there. The sun, the moon, the stars, his majesty declare. It talks about the circuit. It talks about the line. And, and if, we, if, if we pay attention, and I do notice this on my way to school during the fall and the spring, that the sun will come up and it progressively moves every single morning a little bit. And I'll, I'll usually notice it on Friday and Monday because there's been two full days of movement, but it moves in the sky. And, I, it, and it starts to make its way this way. And it means that it means the days are getting longer or it means the days are getting shorter and you can see the sun starts to move and you can almost picture thinking from David's point of view, he knew where the sun rose. He knew the point on the horizon where the sun was going to come up. And then he knew that he could turn around and he knew the point on the horizon where the sun was going to dip down below the mountains. If he was up in Jerusalem, he, he knew the course of the sun. And he's talking about it. He says, that, he says their, line, their line is gone out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. And, and it's another reiteration of the fact that it is everywhere. And he really, he really follows it up with that at the end when he talks about the heat. There's nothing that can be hid from the heat thereof. But as a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, I mean, the sun has a place where it tabernacles, essentially goes into a tent or hides itself. So we have a place where the sun hides and then there's a place where the sun comes up out. And it says, as a, as a bridegroom cometh out of his chamber, and there's built into this a sense of joy. It's, it's happiness. There's, there's joy involved in saying this. And have you ever seen a sunrise and it just made you sad? They're not usually sad occasions when you see the sun. In fact, uh, I believe Annie said the sun will come up tomorrow and it's a good thing, right? Uh, bet your bottom dollar, don't bet in church. Um, but the sun's going to come up tomorrow. Uh, there's, a, there's a sense of joy with a new day. 
with the dawning of a new day. And I've, I, I remember, I remember being in St. Luke's downtown. I, re, I remember spending all through the night. I'm not able to sleep. I left the room when, when uh, McKinley passed and Georgia was in the room resting and I left the room and went out to the place where the elevators were. It was a big bank of elevators and there's a window with a seat and I sat in the window seat and I watched the sun come up. And I remember this, it just like occurred to me, the fact that the sun's, the sun's coming up. It's a new day. There's a, there's a new dawning here. And, and as the sun rose, the sky progressively, it changed colors, just like a normal sunrise. And it came up and it occurred to me, my sadness, my sorrow, my grief, my circumstances, change nothing about the character of God. And honestly, that what came to mind in that moment, this was years ago and I still remember it, what came to mind in that moment was, His mercies are new. It's, it's a new morning, so what do you have? New mercies. Every single morning, His mercies and His compassion, every single morning, God is unchangeable. His creation is unchangeable. It's in a circuit. And it keeps going, and it's a declaration again of His mercy. Um, and this is this is faithfulness demonstrated to us. Limitations three, twenty-two. It says, "Is it is of the Lord's mercies we are not consumed, because His compassions fail not; they are new every morning." Great is Thy faithfulness. The connection's clear uh, between His mercy and the compassion and the rising of the sun. And then we're reminded again in the passage that it's to everybody. And there is no escaping the fact that they're declaring his glory to everybody. If you were to sneak up to McCall while we're on vacation, um, I think we're leaving the 24th of July, and you, you went down to the shore of Payette Lake, and you found a large man with a straw hat on his head with, you, what you would see is you would see me in a lounge chair, and I would be covered in towels. Yeah, I've got blankets on me, because I don't want to get burnt. Uh, and I don't like sunscreen because it's greasy. So I'm covered in towels and I have my hat pulled down and I'm laying back and I'm trying to sleep, I'm taking a nap. So my chair is pulled all the way up and I'm like leaning down because it's a hill if you've been there. Um, and I'm under the trees. I'm in the shade. I'm trying to hide from the sun. That's what I'm, gonna, what I'm trying to do. And doggone it, if every time, it's without fail, I'm laying there and I something hits my eye and I open my eye and I'm wearing a straw hat and a piece of sun array has come through the pine trees, which are terrible shade trees, by the way, they could plant some, I don't know, sycamores or something. Um, and it's coming through the tree and coming through a hole in my hat right on my eyeball. Every time I'm like, I'm trying to sleep. And so I move a little bit and guess what the sun does? You know, the sun moves. I've fallen asleep before and woke it up with my feet burning because the sun came just enough and there went my shade and, and my feet, the tops of my feet were burnt and I couldn't wear my flip flops for, oh, I did, but it hurt. Um, and Georgia kept saying, stop whining. Um, so this is actually just a therapeutic moment for me. Uh, thank you. Um, the sun moves. The sun's constantly on the same circuit through the sky as it goes through. And, and I, may try to, I may try to hide from it, but I can't. There's nothing I can do, there's nothing you can do to hide from the sun. It's a whole lot more evident when you're down there by the equator in the south. But it's true out here as well. 
Um, there's a story of a missionary who was trying to impress the chief of the village, and he went to the village chief. He's trying to tell him about the nature and the character of God. And the village chief pointed over to his shelf of idols, and he said, here are my gods. Show me yours, and maybe I'll believe. And so the missionary said, I, you, can't, you can't see God. If you, if you were to see God, he, he would blind you. You can't see God. Um, and the village chief said again, I, here's my God, show me yours, and maybe I'll believe. So the, the missionary thought, and he said, uh, I can show you a messenger of my God, but I can't show you my God. If you'll agree, I need to blindfold you. So he blindfolded the chief, and he leads him outside, and he turns his face towards the sun, and he pulls the blindfold off. The chief is staggered, steps backward. He's blinded from the sun. And, and this is what the missionary said to him. He said, that is but one of the servants of my God. That's why you can't see him. That's just one servant. And if you think about that, look at, look at our sun. Look at the stars. Look at, look at what we have surrounding us in creation. And just think, those are just messengers. That's all they are. They would turn you into dust. I, I don't think you can like destroy matter completely, but they get pretty close to it. And they're just messengers. That's all they are, messengers of our God. Um, there's attributes of God that are found in this passage that we just read. Um, first, for the first attribute we see is his omnipotence and the, inf the infinite nature of God. He's, he's, he's not finite. And the next time you step outside and you look up, Think about the fact that the Milky Way contains more than 100 billion stars. I know uh, uh, Nathan's gone over some of this, um, and I didn't steal from him, but I should have. There's, there's at least 100 billion more galaxies with billions of stars each. Just think about that. Now, take your Bible, that page right there, the thickness. Let's pretend that's 93 million miles, which is the distance from us to the sun. Let's pretend that's 93 million miles. The distance between us and the other nearest star besides the sun is 71 feet using this as our thickness, 93 million miles. 71 feet, four and a half light years. The diameter of the Milky Way galaxy is 100,000 light years. That's 310 miles of this thickness. If you were to take the edge of the known universe, so go all the way out to the very edge, 31 million miles of this thickness. That's vast. So is, is God omnipotent? Yeah, I think he's all powerful. Does, does he have a limit? Doesn't seem that he does since he holds all of that in his hands. It seems to me like he might be infinite. Um, he spoke the universe into existence. He spoke and it came into being. That's just amazing. And, and here's a cool thing about his creation of the stars. Because I just said billions and billions and billions of stars. Verse 16, Genesis 1.16, at the very end it says, And he made the stars also. <laughs> understatement of the millennia and he made the stars also well if i had made one star it would be headline news for god five words that's all he needs to say he made those two 
Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, number two, and we're going to go through these quicker. Number two, his consistency and faithfulness. We've already looked at that. He, it's, his consistency and his faithfulness is described in this passage using his creation. He shows us that. And then number three, his omnipresence and omniscience. The fact that the sun's rays shine everywhere on the earth and nothing is hidden from the heat of the sun, that's how God is. It's, it's, a, it's, it's showing us this is God's omniscience. He knows everything about us and he loves us anyway. He's, he's omniscient and he's omnipresent. He's with us everywhere. Um, now let's get into a couple of points of application and we'll be finished tonight. Um, first of all, let the creation of God humble you. So we just looked at this. We see the heavens declare the glory of God, the firmament showeth his handiwork, and day and day utter a speech. And, and I, just, I, just, I just said that. It, his omnipotence and his infinity is, is declared to us in this passage. Like it's very obvious from this passage that he is, he is omnipotent and, and he's infinite. But if we read through the Bible, we'll find example after example of our sinful tendency to exalt ourselves and start to think of ourselves as being godlike. I've actually heard a false teacher one time, don't know their name, why am I even saying this, but I'm going to. And they said something about the fact that we're, we're basically little gods ourselves because God dwells within us. Fooey, don't, don't be stupid, all right? No, you're not God, I'm not God, that's it. Let the creation of God humble you. Just look into the night sky, billions upon billions spoken into existence, and it just says, and he made the stars also. Next time that I feel like I'm, you know, you know pretty awesome, I'm going to step outside and I'm going to try to create something. Let, okay, let there be well-behaved children. <sighs> you know, like, I mean, honestly, just God doesn't exist to make us happy. He's not our genie in a lamp. He alone is God. He alone is great. And if we just step back in light of his creation, in view of his creation, and just look at it for a second, it should humble us. It should bring us into a place where the Bible declares we ought to be humbled. Um, number two, don't let modern evolutionary theories infect your thinking. My goodness, evolution is a religious faith. It is a religious faith. We are teaching religion in public schools. I don't care what anybody says. It is a religion, and it is taught as fact when in fact it is theory. That's the coolest thing about it, cruelest thing about it, most annoying and frustrating thing about it is that it's a theory. The theory of evolution is taught as scientific fact in our, in, in our classrooms today. And it's interesting because they can't explain how the complexities of our natural world came to be unless they use, well, even using incredible odds like billions of years. They cannot explain how the intricacy of our world is. Or they'll attribute it to some exceptional intelligence like Mother Nature. Oh, Mother Nature. Um, she can be cruel. Uh, insurance calls them act of God, uh, but we'll say Mother Nature if you want. But Mother Nature hasn't mystically and powerfully equipped our world with amazing things God has. Like, modern evolutionary theories have infected, and ha it, it has crept into the Christian world. Theistic evolution, anybody? All that is is Darwinian theory 
pushed into the Bible. It's false. Don't let that stuff mess up your understanding because it's not a mother nature, it's God, the creator. Um, I read about, uh, I, I, I read about a tree. I wish I could remember the name of it right now because it would have been cool to use and I thought I wouldn't use it, now I'm not going to. Uh, there's some type of a bug that uses a tree and we're not even gonna go there. Evolutionists try to use it as a reason for evolution when in reality, foolishness. Can we cut that? Let's cut that. You got it? We're good? Now we're gonna press play, let's keep going. Um, when we look around at the sky, when we look at the sky, not one of us looks up there and goes, man, what a cool accident that was. Some cosmic explosion caused all this really cool order. Uh, I've never served in the military, but I don't think any soldier would ever say that an explosion caused order. Usually the opposite. It disrupts order. Um, my goodness. There's design in our creation. When we look up at it, we see design. Um, number three, and we'll be done, allow the creation of God to compel you to worship him. Allow the creation of God to compel you to worship him, not the other way around. Don't look at creation and feel compelled to worship it. And, and without going off on a tangent, because there's just no point in that, that's just rude. Um, Sometimes we allow creation to become our church. And God would say, no, don't do that. That's, that's not what I created it for. It's declaring my glory. Don't you go out there in among, among it and think you can worship in it me. No, no, no. Let it compel you to worship me. Um, don't, don't let the sun and the moon and the stars and sunsets and sunrises and storm. Don't let that stuff that has no voice, that has no mouth, out-declare the glory of God to us who do have a mouth, who do have a voice. Where You want to talk about showing his handiwork? The only thing in creation that God did not speak into existence is sitting in this room right now. He decided to get his hands dirty to make us. Grasp that. God is spirit. Those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. When we talk about that, we're talking about God giving himself physical attributes to help us to understand. And he says that God took a form because he formed us with his hands of the dust of the ground. Wow. You want to talk about showing his handiwork. You're looking at it. I'm looking at it. You're his handiwork. Are we showing forth his handiwork? Are we showing his handiwork? Are we who have been given the very breath of God? There's another one to con just to contemplate for a second that he breathed into man's nostrils the breath of life and man became a living soul. And, and he who gave us the very breath into our nostrils to make us a living soul, are we using that breath? as creation does without a voice, are we using that breath to declare his glory? I mean, honestly, when I, when I took to wanting to just pick these six verses, I thought we can go verse by verse in this and it'll be a really cool Bible study, but there won't be an application to it. What, what can we pull from this passage? What can we take from this? And I think the final takeaway is just, if you ignore the first two, this one right here, let creation compel you to worship him. Let creation compel you 
to, to declare his glory and to show his handiwork. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for David in, in the observations that he made um, in this psalm. I pray you would help us as we go our way, um, be with those who are gone and that are sick, um, and bring us back on Sunday morning. Bless the services on Sunday in Christ's name. Amen.